have a seat, and if you have a Bible with you, let's go to Matthew chapter 14. I want to talk about um, faith today. If you, if you were to uh, do a deep dive in your life, um, and you were to share your faith story with me, uh, probably you would start telling me about times in your lives, when, your life when uh, people um, maybe told you about Christ, maybe you were a child, maybe you were a teenager, an adult, and and so, you know, you were searching in life, and you were wondering, and you were exploring about what is life about, what's the meaning, what's the purpose, and somebody comes along and says, you know, uh, God helps us to understand the meaning and purpose of life, and why we're here, and why do we exist, and what is it that God wants to do in relationship with us, and they start sharing about their faith walk with God, and they invite you to put your faith and your trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. So at that moment in time, you're at a juncture of decision. Oh, are you going to put your faith in Christ or you're not? And some of you did and some of you did not. And maybe it was later on that you made that, that step of faith. But at some point in your life, uh, you went from exploring and you were kind of searching. And, and what Jesus would say to Andrew, when Andrew first heard about Jesus, he Jesus says, uh, I want you to come and see, just come and see, come and, come and observe. And so as Jesus was calling people to himself to come and see, he was taking them step by step to, in a faith walk. Each and every day he wanted them to deepen their faith, deepen their trust in God, and then it went from come and see to follow me. I want you to follow me, I want you to drop your nets, I, wanna, I want you to quit your job put away the nets of safety, I want you to follow me, I want you to come, become all in, and then eventually he says, I want you to become now fishers of men, I want you to go and tell, I want you to um, share with others what God is, is doing in your life. And so as you think back over this past year in your life and the ways in which God has deepened your faith and the avenue through which he did that, as you know, for me it was cancer, it was a deep dark valley, and as I said before, uh, you never know the depth of your faith and trust in God until you get put into the deepest, darkest valley you've ever been in life. And then all of a sudden it comes to the surface, right? How deep is your faith? How much will you trust God? And even if you never know why this has happened, can you continue to trust me regardless? And so these are faith issues. God is always trying to deepen our faith walk with him and so as you think about your, your life, I, I want you not just to kind of scroll through your life rapidly, but I want you to think about over this next week, what are the ways in which God has deepened my faith? Where he's, he called me out into the, the deeper waters, and maybe you balked, maybe you refused to go, and maybe you were reluctant about stepping into the water, and for some of you, you overcame your reluctance and you took that step of faith. And then all of a sudden, God started doing something inside of you and through your life because you were willing to do that. I define faith as simply audacious trust in God. So God is always trying to help us take our next step with him. And it always is a step of faith. God is always trying to deepen our faith and trust in him. And this is exactly what he was doing with his disciples because when he would leave planet Earth and he says, I'm going to leave you guys, guess what? They're taking over the organization that Jesus has started called the Church of Jesus Christ. And he, was, he didn't leave them as orphans. He says, I'm going to endow you. I'm going to indwell you with the person of the Holy Spirit who will equip you and enable you to walk in deeper levels of faith 
so that you can carry on the mission that I have begun. So that's kind of what I want to talk about. There are many ways that God can deepen your faith, but the one I want to talk about today is, is ministry, personal ministry. We've spent the last four to five weeks talking about how God has uniquely shaped you, your spiritual gifts, your heart, your passions, your abilities, your God-given abilities, your personality, and your experiences, painful experiences, educational, ministry experiences, uh, spiritual experiences, how that makes your unique shape, and God is always trying to push us a little deeper out into the water so that we have to trust him in greater ways in personal ministry. It's one of the leading ways that God develops our faith. And here's why this is also important. Because if my faith does not deepen, if it does not grow, if it does not stretch, if my faith only stays contained in my little comfort zone, your walk with God, your relationship with God will be surface at best. And then you become bored with it, and then all of a sudden, you know, you just the, the love that you had and the passion you had for Jesus just isn't quite as deep, and it's just not quite as, as um, you know, um, you're just not sensing as it, as it you once did, and that, that love relationship begins to grow cold. And, you know, when Jesus talked to the church at Ephesus in the book of Revelation, he says, you've left your first love. Your love for me has grown cold, has grown stale and idle. And when our love and our passion for Jesus grows cold, then we're probably not as in tune to the Holy Spirit as we once were. And we're probably not uh, then, you know, listening to the invitation of the Holy Spirit to go deeper with him as he pushes us out into the deeper waters. So uh, I want us to look at a couple of stories here. One is two of them are found here in Matthew chapter 14. So if you'll uh, go to to that, if you've not already um, have already turned there, I think this is a great example in the Bible um, of how uh, God deepens our faith journey with Him, and as we see Jesus and His interaction with His own disciples and how He was constantly trying to deepen their faith and their trust in him. And so um, when we come to Matthew chapter 14, in the opening of this chapter, John the Baptist has been uh, incarcerated. Uh, remember John the Baptist was out there at the Jordan River, and he's, he, was, he was saying, listen, the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent, uh, you know, turn to the Lord. And so, but John had, a, he had this knack for always preaching against um, Well, you know, he's against King Herod, okay? So King Herod, at one point in his life, he um, marries, uh, you know, his brother's wife, and it was an illegitimate marriage. It was really an illegal marriage. And John the Baptist was constantly using that situation as a sermon illustration. And so Herod got ticked, all right? It's like, okay, I'm tired of listening to this. And his wife Herodias you know, you, the story, he throws this party, and she has John arrested, and she's wanting, you know, his head on a platter, and so John is in prison. Now, this is like the, in the third trimester of Jesus's ministry, the third year of his ministry, John is beheaded, and he is taken out. This is Jesus's cousin, and he is beheaded, and it says in uh, chapter 
14, verse 13, when Jesus heard what had happened, he withdrew by boat privately to a solitary place. Hearing of this, the crowds followed him on foot from the towns. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them and healed their sick. As evening approached, the disciples came to him and said, this is a remote place. It's already getting late. Send the crowds away so they can go to the villages and buy for themselves some food. And so here's Jesus trying to mourn the death of, his, of John the Baptist, and the, the crowds are just constantly after Jesus. I mean, they know he's a miracle worker. They know that his teachings are unlike they've ever heard before. And so Jesus, you know, even though he's in mourning, he goes and he begins healing those who are in need, and it's getting late, and the people start getting hangry. Now, you know what hangry is? When you're tired and you are Hungry and you're angry, right? So people get hangry when they go to a restaurant and they say it's going to be a 30 to 45 minute wait. And the longer people wait, the more agitated and irritated they become. And they're going up, you know, constantly, where are we in the list? Where are we in the list? And that's just the way it is. So the disciples understand this. But here's what I want you to see. What did Jesus do? How did he respond to this? Because really there's a a principle that we find here. Listen. Personal ministry will always challenge your faith. It's always going to challenge your faith, and here's why. Because God uses ministry to stretch your faith. He uses it to grow it, to stretch it, to move it beyond your comfort zone so that God can take you into deeper and deeper waters where he wants you to be in order to take your unique and divine shape and use it for his kingdom purposes, and which ultimately brings glory back to God himself. And so how did the response of the disciples? Jesus says to them, here's what I want you to do, guys. They don't need to go somewhere. They don't need to go away. He looked at him and says, I want you to give them something to eat. You guys do it. Now, what's their response? Their response is like our response, <laughs> right? So what, what, he says, well, we, we here only, we only have five loaves of bread and, and two fish. So what is our response? It's their response. When God asks us to do something that is beyond our capability of doing it, the way that we ultimately respond right out of the gate is we make excuses and then we extend our um, inability because we don't have the necessary means by which to get this done. In other words, we make excuses and we emphasize our limitations, right? Well, Lord, I understand uh, you're, you're laying this on my heart. So, for example, you might be sitting in church. You might be in your own devotional time. God's Spirit's laying upon your heart a ministry. And it might be a ministry to the homeless. It might be a ministry to helping, uh, you know, in human traffic. It can be a thousand different things. But God starts nudging your heart. And he says, you know what? I want you to engage your life in this ministry. And oftentimes, our first, our first thought is, but, Lord, you don't understand. I'm not equipped to do that. I've never done that before. I, I, I'm, ju- I'm just, it's just poor little old me. I've never been to seminary. I've never, you know, I don't know that much about the Bible. I, God, I, I'm telling you, I can't do it. My limitations are great. And right out of the gate, we say, Lord, I, I just don't feel equipped. I just don't feel prepared. I just don't think I can be, you know, get this accomplished. I'm not smart enough. I'm not educated enough. And here's what I will do, Lord, though. I will pray for someone to be sent to meet that need, right? 
So someone says, you know, we really need help in our children's department. You say, well, I don't do kids, but I'll tell you what I'll do. I will pray that God will send somebody to help us out in the children's department. Or God lays upon your heart, and he's saying, I want you to do this. Well, Lord, I can't do that. I'm not equipped to do that, but I'll pray for somebody to do that. So this is exactly what happened to the disciples. Remember when Jesus says, hey, at one point he goes, I want you to pray for the Lord of the harvest to send out workers because the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. And the disciples are thinking, yeah, Lord, we'll pray for that. And then Jesus turned to them and said, now I'm sending you out into the harvest. They were the answer to their own prayer. I'm just simply saying this, that when God wants to stretch our faith, he wants to expand it, he wants to deepen it, and he's going to send us out into deeper waters, he's going to call us to engage ourselves in some kind of ministry that's going to challenge your faith because God is stretching your faith, and our response is typically to make excuses and to elaborate upon our limitations. But if God didn't think you could do it, He would have never called you to do it. See, all of us, when we're going to take a step of faith outside of our comfort zone, at some point we have to take that step. And so Jesus gathers disciples together and says, give me what you've got. Now, there's a principle here. Give me what you've got. Give me your limited resources. Because this is what personal ministry does. Our second point is this. Personal ministry will call for your limited resources. Our thought is, it takes too much and I have so little. For example, God, um, I hardly know the Bible. Well, God will say, well, bring me what you know. God, I have a limited amount of time. Well, bring me what time you've got. God, I have a limited abilities. Well, bring me what abilities you have. Because whatever you're limited with, I can expand that. I, I, I can do things through you that you never thought possible. So the call to personal ministry, the call to engaging in God's kingdom activity means that, yes, there is none of us who feel qualified. There are none of us who feel like we have it all together and we're bringing everything we need to the table because God will, if he's pushing you to expand your faith and trust in him in audacious ways, then he's going to call you to something that on your own it is absolutely impossible to do. But if you bring him your limited resources, God can work a miracle and make them feed 5,000 plus. So this is what he did with his disciples. He said, well, bring me what you've got. You got five loaves, two fishes? Great. Give them to me. Now, line up in front of me. We're going to pray. He starts praying. And you can imagine the disciples are thinking to themselves, well, I hope that when Jesus gets done praying and we turn around, these people have gone because we ain't got enough food. And what did Jesus do? He put the food into their hands and said, now start distributing the food. And they did. And it fed probably about 10,000 people, and they had 12 basketfuls left over. What was God trying to teach them? What was Jesus trying to do? He was trying to deepen their faith and their trust in him. And here's the principle. When, I, when I'm able, willing to do what only I can do, and whatever comes up short, God will do the what he can do. Only he can do, right? So this is what faith is all about. When we think about faith or God calling us to do something, we think, well, I've got to have it all figured out. I've got, I got to know in my heart it's all going to work out the way I want it to. 
And, uh, you know, but faith is sometimes God speaks. Now, this isn't blind faith. God speaks. You respond to God's voice, and you step into that ministry, and you feel ill-equipped, and you think, God, I'm just bringing a lot of limited resources here. And God says, that's okay. I've only asked you to step out in faith and bring me what you have, what you are capable of doing, and whatever is short, I will do what only I can do, and a miracle will happen. And when a miracle happens, what happens then? Our faith is strengthened. Right? Don't you think the disciples, when they fed that many people and they had 12 baskets left over, like they were ecstatic about what in the world God accomplished through them? You bet they were. What was Jesus doing? Step by step, he's trying to deepen their faith and trust in him because he's about to turn this whole thing over to them in the near future. He is in the final months of his ministry here on earth when all of this is transpiring. And so what is at stake here is simply, isn't simply the needs will go unmet if they you know, fail to do what he's asked them to do. There's a bigger issue, and that is in the size and the capacity of their faith and the ability for God to leverage their faith for his kingdom purposes. And the same thing is true in our lives, which is why God is always, always trying to deepen our faith. Jesus wasn't simply doing this miracle because he needed to come up with a new one. He had a very specific agenda, and it was to deepen their faith. Number four, three, personal ministry will be communicated to you by the Holy Spirit. It says in verse 22, immediately Jesus made the disciples get in the boat and go ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. And after he dismissed them, they went up on the mountain by himself to pray which he normally did, and when evening came, he was there alone, but the boat was already a considerable distance from the land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. So, at this point, I need all of our kids up here on stage because you're going to be my actors. We're going to talk a little bit for a few minutes about Peter walking on the water, so come on, kids, come on up here. We're going to assign you a little role to play. I'm going to mute myself here for a minute.
Okay, so in this story, as you well know, Peter's going to uh, attempt to walk on water. So um, these are my disciples in the boat here. You guys wait. They're rowing, rowing, rowing. This is the first rowing machine in the Bible because they're rowing and not going anywhere. So, they, you know, there's a bad storm happening. Okay, guys, row. You've got to row, row, row because you're trying to get to shore. You don't want to drown. And Okay, the, these, these individuals are the waves, so spritz them with the water because they're hitting the waves. The waves are all up over them. This is your opportunity to spray them. Yeah, see? Not right in the face. Okay, there, the waves are gone. The waves are gone. And the disciples, they're, they're worried they're, they're, they're going to sink. And Jesus comes out on the water. And you guys are the say, you're, you're like, oh, no, who is that? Is it a ghost? All right, say your line. Who is that? Is it a ghost? Yeah, so you're still rowing, rowing, and now Peter, Peter, I have some waves going, Peter is going to ask Jesus, can I come out and walk with you? What are you going to say? Yeah, come on out. Peter starts walking on the water, the disciples are back there, they're still trying to row, 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 let's not stop rowing, the waves are still hitting them, waves, we got to have waves, this is your chance to spray them, waves. All right, so Peter's out here trying to walk on the water. And what happens to Peter? He's, he starts to sink, doesn't he? And what Jesus do? You, you reach out and grab him. Reach out. You're going to help him up. Oh, there you go. And you're going to help him back into the boat. Back into the boat. Back in the boat, Jesus. You're going in the boat with him. There you go. A little bit of waves there. So, you know, so Jesus is going to calm the storm. So ask the storm to calm down. Okay, great, great, great. All right. Thank you for your help and participation in our. I think this water bottle thing's pretty nice because I come out here and like, y'all, give you the effect, okay? Now, one of the things I love about this story is, now remember that the disciples have experienced this incredible miracle of Jesus in, in uh, feeding the 5,000 plus women and children. And so Peter has this lodged in his thought processes, like, you know what, uh, we exercised faith back there and it worked out pretty well. And now all of a sudden when they're in the boat, Jesus is sending them across the Sea of Galilee, which was notorious for storms coming up in a moment's notice. Uh, yeah, we forgot to give them their, uh, their gifts. We give them? Okay, great. So, uh, notorious for, for storms to come up in a, in a moment's notice. And so, Jesus comes walking, and Peter now in his mind, he's thinking, you know what? Uh, man, I really trusted Jesus when we were, you know, at least partially, when we were giving out and feeding the 5,000. How about I, I take this principle and I put it into practice in my life, and I'm going to ask him to let me come out and, and walk with him. and So people say all the time, well, yep, that's true, but Peter began to sink, and Jesus questioned his faith. Well, that is true, but, but there are 11 other guys still in the boat who did not get out. So the, the point is, if you want to walk on water, you got to get out of the boat, right? So if, if Jesus called out to Peter, Peter says, Lord, may I come? And he says, yes, come. My point is that 
as you and I are journeying through life in our walk with God, there's going to be moments where the Holy Spirit of God is going to call you out of the boat. He's going to call you to take a risk. He's going to call you to exercise your faith. You're thinking to yourself, but I can't do this. It won't work. I'm going to drown. And all kinds of thoughts that roll through our head as to why we cannot participate in what God is asking us to do. But you cannot walk on water until you get out of the boat. You cannot know what God might do until you take that step of faith and engage in what he's calling you to do. So what I want to challenge you with in 2023 is to ask God on a daily basis, Lord, where do I need to get out of the boat? Where, what waters are you calling me into? What is it that you're laying in, upon my heart? Because I would say that most of you, there is an, an internal struggle that's going on inside of you between what God wants you to do, what God wants you to engage your life in, and what you're willing to do at this point in your life. Right? Because it's going gonna, it's gonna to require faith. It's going to require trust. It's going to require an, out, an outlandish step of faith that you're not sure that you can take. But if you will take that faith, if you will take your limited resources and take that step of faith in response to the Holy Spirit calling you out of the boat, then God will do whatever it is that you're lacking and, and are unable to do because that's what he does. He is a miracle worker. And it's incredible how now you take that step of faith and God works in you and through you. And now all of a sudden your faith is what? It's broader, it is deeper, and you're willing to trust God in greater ways in the days ahead. So I want to make a challenge to our men. Now, you know, this past year, 2022, was obviously um, not the kind of year that I thought I would be having. This time last year, on January 1st, I knew that I had cancer, didn't know what all that was going to entail, but after five and a half months of chemo, three surgeries, um, you know, God, God miraculously healed me of all of that. It was a very deep journey of faith, and then when I was off for eight weeks, um, you know, I had a lot of time to read, I had a lot of time to contemplate and to think and to seek the heart of God and, and what the Holy Spirit wanted next. So I want to say this to our men. Uh, this is what God laid on my heart, and I've been developing this uh, for several months now, is that when you look at the life of Jesus and how he was crafting his disciples and their faith and the organization he was about to, to leave, he says, uh, you know, in the latter part of his ministry, he says, you know, I'm going to build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And he was going to use the, his disciples in a very unique and powerful way. But the Bible also says that Jesus... Uh, in the very beginning, if you go back to his birth, that Jesus grew in wisdom and strength and in favor of God and men. In other words, Jesus had a personal strategy for his own life to grow and to mature in his faith and his walk with God because he kind of set his God card aside and says, I'm going to live as a human being, although he never lost his, his deity, but he was willing to live as a human being, to experience what we experienced, the temptations we experienced, and everything else in life. How did Jesus, you know, when he was tempted, the, when he started in ministry, the very first thing that happens, he's driven out into the wilderness by whom? By the Holy Spirit to be tempted of the evil one, and there he passes that test that Adam and Eve failed in the garden. And so how did he strengthen himself? And then he had not only a personal strategy, he had an organizational strategy, 
as he was going to build his church. So, guys, here's what I'm asking you to do. On January 22nd, uh, that's about three weeks from now, on Sunday evening, I'll give you a time later. It's probably going to be around 4 o'clock. I'm just asking you to come and see in that I, I feel that God laid on my heart this year that I want to pour myself into our men, all right? So I, I want to take you on a journey with me, and I want to pour everything that God has taught me into you as much as I can to disciple you, to strengthen you, not only in your walk with God, but in your family life, uh, uh, you know, in your workplace and the various things, but also looking at how do you fit into the organizational structure of the body of Christ, the church, and uh, how can you be used of God to help lead this church into its future? Because no one person can do this by themselves. It takes all of us collectively working together. Now, I know, ladies, you're thinking, well, what about us? Well, there is going to be a you, um, but just not yet, okay? I, I have some plans for that, but I'm going to launch out of the gate with them. I'm just asking you to come and see on January 22nd. I'll lay out what I'm going to ask of you and what, you know, what, what I'm going to be sharing with you and teaching you, and then you make the decision. Are you willing to take the journey with me over the next year here in our church and uh, so part of this will be lived out in your personal life, in your family life, your work life, and in your church life. Amen? This is, I'm, I'm just asking you to come and see and allow the Holy Spirit to speak to your heart as to whether or not you want to engage in this process. There will be accountability. It's not going to be, well, a hit, miss, and skip kind of thing. Um, there's going to be accountability. I will meet on you one-on-one -on -one from time to time. Um, and, and a lot of other things are going to be happening. I just, I just feel burdened and, uh, to do that and have now for, for quite a while. So some of you uh, already know about this. Uh, many of you do not. So that brings me to the very last thing, and that personal ministry always corresponds with true greatness. In Mark chapter 10, let me wrap this up. Mark chapter 10, Jesus was heading to Jerusalem, and he told his disciples, hey, when I get there, here's what's going to happen. And I'm going to be arrested, I'm going to be put on trial, I'm going to be, you know, I'm going to be beaten, I'm going to be crucified, but on the third day I will rise from the grave. And what do the disciples start talking about? What do they start arguing about? They start arguing about, well, who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom of God, right? Who's going to sit on the right hand and the left hand of Jesus? Now, this is important because James and John came to Jesus and said, hey, uh, can we sit on the right hand and the left hand? Well, why on the right and the left hand? Well, what they were portraying is the Passover meal. You know, when we, you, you see um, paintings of the Passover meal, you see it's one long table. That is not typical. They would have a U-shaped table so all the disciples can see one another. They can look into each other's eyes. And the center seat would have been for Jesus. He is the host of the Passover meal. The one who sits upon his right would be his friend. And so John sat there, remember, because he was the friend who sticks you know, it sticks closer. He's like the friend of Jesus. And who sat on his left? Because that was the seat. That was the seat of honor. Judas Iscariot sat in that seat. The one who was going to betray Jesus. And so Jesus said in response to them, you do not know what you're asking of me because if you sit with me, you are going to have to drink of the cup and there's four cups in the Passover meal, the cup of sacrifice. And so they were thinking, oh, 
I'm tagging into this organization. Jesus is going to come back as the Messiah. We're going to overthrow Rome, and we're going to rule and reign with Christ. That was their thought. Jesus was saying, no, 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 that's not how it's going to happen. I'm going to be killed. I'm going to be crucified. I'm going to be put in a grave. I will rise three days later, but as to who sits on my right and my left, that is not for you to decide. That is not for your asking. Now, what Jesus wanted them to understand is that true greatness isn't about, you know, just being in the seat of honor. True greatness is about who are you serving? Who are you serving? And so he challenged them in this area of service as he went on to discuss what true greatness is really about. It's about sacrificing for the sake of others. It is about adding value to others. It is about, you know, modeling the heart of a servant to those who are around you. And so Jesus says, in essence, guys, you're going to have all kinds of opportunities after I'm gone. There's going to be many people out there who have needs, huge needs. There are going to be people out there who have physical needs, mental needs, spiritual needs. I'm telling you, I'm going to equip you to meet those needs. And I'm going to call you into greatness. But greatness is not about sitting in the place of honor. It's not about carrying the biggest trophy. It is about who will serve those who are in need. And there is a lot of service that goes on in our church that others do not know about because you don't serve for your honor, you don't serve for your glory, you serve some of you behind the scenes, some of you are very, you know, you have positions of leadership and it's not because you, you know, you want the accolades or you want people to think great about you, you serve because you love Jesus. And you listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit, and he called you into that place of ministry, and you responded by faith, and you entered into that realm of ministry, and in God's eyes, that is true greatness. That is success. You took the step of faith, and you served. Throughout the next year, there's going to be multiple opportunities for you to take a step of faith, engage into ministry, for some of you, it's behind the scenes. For some of you, it's up on this platform. Or for others of you, it's everything in between. But I'm telling you, God takes note, and he says, this is the essence of true greatness. We have a world that is hurting. We have a lot of needs, both in the body of Christ and outside the body of Christ. And God has equipped somebody here in a very unique way to meet that need. And if you will listen... For the small, still voice of the Spirit of God, He will speak to you. He'll lay that on your heart. And when you respond and you step out in faith and you engage in the lives of others, that is the essence of true greatness. So let's bow our heads together.